You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. We're already towards the end of the week, Thursday afternoon edition of On the Line beautiful day outside finally all this rain has passed through the area spring football in the air at the high school level Levi how you doing my man doing well today I mean it's like you said beautiful day outside I mean after the dreary weather that we had yesterday my last day for the week so it's kind of my weekend you know getting ready for the weekend because I will be off tomorrow with another doctor's appointment and don't look now NC Dinos of the Korean baseball organization second place in the league Weren't they there yesterday? No, they were in fourth. But now they're second in the league, two and a half games out of first place, defending their title to win the sword. That's what they play for? I don't know what it's called, but it is a giant sword. That is their trophy. I don't know what it is called, but I call it the sword. Maybe we're doing things wrong over here. Why I, aren't we why aren't we playing for a if sword? You, if you Excalibur. Just, like you look at that picture when they won, and there's one guy in the dead center holding a sword straight into the air while the rest of the team is cheering. That is a powerful picture. Imagine Tom Brady holding a sword into the air. Imagine Tom the- Brady throwing a sword across the boat to the <laughs> to fans. You remember that video Oof. of him throwing the Lombardi trophy. That would not go well. <laughs> I, tr- I trust Gronk to catch it. Especially, I trust Cameron Brady to catch it. He's always there in the end zone. Things are moving along on the defensive side of the ball for Auburn in the transfer portal. Of course, yesterday, Tony Fair committed to the Tigers UAB grad transfer but we also get news that Auburn just offered Southeast Missouri State safety and nickel back by Darius Knighton and this is a guy who's filled up the stat sheet at the FCS level with Southeast Missouri State Auburn putting a lot of emphasis on the defensive side of the football and the transfer portal most notably the defensive backfield just forgive me. I haven't watched a lot of Southeast Missouri football. So this is this is a guy that today I had to go through and kind of comb through his stats, figure out what he was, and I'll just keep I'll just keep it simple like this. If Brian Harson and this and this coaching staff, especially with Derek Mason on the defensive side of the ball, those two guys have always done very well with evaluating lower perceived talent. You know, maybe undervalued talent. They've been able to find the guys who can compete and who can provide some sort just some sort of production on that side of the football or on you know on the football field in general so I'm going to trust the coaching staff that they're fine they're looking at a guy and they're saying this guy could play and he could be a kind of diamond in the rough type of guy that we could come in get some value out of provide a good depth piece at the safety you know in the nickelback position in just our defensive backfield which we think is going to be a really good you know, unit on this football team and especially in the country. So might as well just get some guys in there, get some death pieces going and see what you got. I wonder what this tells us about Donovan Kaufman and his recruitment transferring from Vanderbilt to Auburn at Texas or in his final two, because by Darius Knighton 
has largely played safety at Southeast Missouri State, but he has also played nickelback. You look at his statistics, 222 total tackles across four seasons at Southeast Missouri State. Maybe we should go with SEMO there for Southeast Missouri State. That's a lot to say. That's a mouthful. He had three total tackles for loss, so he's not doing a whole lot at the line of scrimmage. Five interceptions, though, 21 total pass deflections, one forced fumble, one fumble recovery, once again across four years at Southeast Missouri State. He had a season in 2018 where he had 10 total pass deflections in 2018, 88 total tackles. That was a huge standout breakout year in 2018 for Bidarius Knighton. You're getting a guy here at the safety position if Auburn were to land Knighton, who did say that Auburn was at the top of his list, mainly because Auburn is probably the most high-profile program recruiting him at the moment. Back in 2019, he was a second-team All-Ohio Valley Conference selection. In 2020, he was preseason All-Ohio Valley Conference. This is a guy that Auburn could be bringing in that could slot in as a backup safety and provide some serious snaps for Auburn at that position where they just lost Chris Thompson Jr., and you look at it whenever he said that Auburn was at the top of his list, he said, it's an elite program, so they're at the top of my list. And that just kind of bases off of who else has offered him. Uh, I've seen Oregon State, Kansas State, some teams like that who, you know, teams that you know but aren't quite at that level that Auburn is traditionally in football. He so, might play more on those teams, though. That is true. He might play more on those teams, but he might also look at it and say, it's a pretty good defensive backfield going on. It's Auburn. It's Derek Mason. I but how does he here. get to the league? That's, that's if he's just, a backup. How does he make it to the league? He might he might view himself as as a guy who can come in and start playing a little bit more. He might be a backup that sees the field regularly. You never know that because on the defensive side of the ball, just because you are a backup doesn't mean that you won't be out there at all times. So, or you know, at a good amount of time throughout the game, I'm not quite sure where he's at I know that distance and moving around doesn't matter for him because he does have a quote saying that if he wants to try to get to the league he's going to have to go any go somewhere else in the country anyway so I'm not sure where this stands from his perspective and what he values maybe he just wants to play in the SEC I mean he's been playing at Southeast Missouri you, you look around you see Missouri you see some of the big names around you and you're like I could play with those guys maybe he just wants to play some of the top tier competition Maybe, maybe I'm just dumbfounded know. that so many players so far have opted to go to a university where they're not going to start. Now, Tony Fair, Christian Clemente yesterday on our show, AuburnSports.com, writer, beat writer for Auburn football and other Auburn athletic programs. But Christian Clemente said that he thought Tony Fair could start on the defensive line at nose tackle for Auburn, that he could split 50-50 with Tyrone Truesdale at nose tackle. That would be a huge development for me. You've got two fifth-year, six-year players in college football and Tony Fair and Tyrone Truesdale over 10 years of combined college football experience at the nose tackle position for Auburn. But you look at a guy like Dreshawn Miller, you're one of the guys at cornerback at West Virginia. You come to Auburn, and right now everybody's thinking that he's going to be the fourth cornerback on the depth chart, which doesn't even mean that you're on the field every single down. So I'm kind of dumbfounded at some of these players that are opting to go to Auburn and they may not even play at least consistently enough to where it would warrant you getting selected in the NFL draft that is true I mean I it's it's from a player's perspective it is a little bit weird and it's it's a little bit you know puzzling 
to say the least. The way I, the only thing that I can justify here is that Derek Mason is probably a good salesman, and he's getting these guys to come in. He's he, cleaning up on the recruiting trail. He's getting them to buy into something. I don't know what that something is, and we will see that later on in the fall, I, I would assume. Well, a consistent theme among all of these recruits is they get on these calls with Derek Mason, and they come back talking about the scheme. I think that's what it is. Uh, we might see. We I think might. Derek Mason's wooing them with scheme and selling them their role on this football team that it's going to work out for them and they're going to have a good time playing some football. We might see a more rotational defense next year. Like, I mean, I'm not saying that every other play you're rotating guys in and out, but you might see more bodies frequently running in and off the field just trying to get some guys rest, trying to get some guys healthy. I'm not sure what we're going to go for from that, but I agree with you with what you just said. Derek Mason selling them on something in the scheme where I get the they vibe. like their role. I get the vibe that there is confidence in the Auburn football program right now on the defensive side of the ball specifically when they're going out into the transfer portal. They're going out and getting guys that they want. The only guy that I could think of that they missed on was Tyke Smith, and he goes to Georgia where it makes a ton of sense that he's going to Georgia because they lost five or six defensive backs out of that defensive backfield alone, whereas Auburn's pretty much bringing everybody back. So Tyke Smith making a smart decision. Also, you look at the safety position at Auburn. Smith probably would have started over Tennyson, but Auburn maybe didn't push as hard for Tyke Smith as Georgia did. Who knows? It makes sense that he's going to Athens. But Auburn is cleaning up on that side of the football. And I've got this, this suspicion that this coaching staff on the defensive side of the football is out there recruiting these guys and telling them things like, this is going to be a nasty defense. You want to be a part of it. That's what that's what I'm gathering. That's the way I look at it. They're thinking that, hey, this defense is going to be a good, or good, maybe great defense in the country, not just the SEC. It might be one of the top defenses in the country. Come on. you Even if you're not starting, you want to be a part of it. Because, I mean, like... And it's a defense that's flying under the radar at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not one of the guys. I've maybe seen one top 10 projection on the defensive side of the football across some media outlets out there on social media saying that Auburn might have a top 10 defense next year. Or maybe I've seen one. It's not, yeah, it's, it's kind of flying under the radar and you're looking at it and you're getting guys in here and you're telling them, man, you want to come be a part of this. This is spe- like, I, we like what we got over here. We think you could fit in and play a good role. Come on, be a part of it. And just come have some fun playing football at a higher level than where you've been at. I'm still waiting for Auburn to do something called the offensive side of the ball because there are position groups of need, namely wide receiver and offensive line. They may go after someone in the portal on the offensive line. That could shake things up with the lineup that we saw back for the spring game, back for the 8A game, just what appears to be. Yeah, it's almost been a month. That was back on like April 17th, so it's almost been a month since the spring game they could go offensive line I think it may be more prudent to go wide receiver in this year's portal there's still a decent amount out there if you can go and get a veteran presence that is rather sure-handed knows how to run some routes doesn't have to be a superstar but can run routes understands the game and can catch footballs well he'll fit in with this receiving core that has a hard time doing both of those things I'm still waiting on the offensive side of the ball to go after someone at the portal because right now it's all defense when you put your ear to the ground. All I can think of is they just don't like the guys in the portal on offense. They just haven't seen a guy that they like and want to get get in here. So I, that's the only thing I can think of. Maybe they're just kind of holding off and waiting for offense. Maybe they're maybe they're kind of waiting towards 
when so you think about when Auburn spring spring ended and within the past few weeks, you've seen guys start transferring out more or less on the defense side of the football. Maybe they're waiting for something like that to happen at other programs. Maybe they're just waiting there like maybe there's a disgruntled wide receiver who wants to go play elsewhere and he'll pop up and we'll be right there waiting for him. Maybe that's the case. Maybe they're just content with what they have on the offensive side of the ball. It might be they just don't like any of these guys and want to bring them in. I'm not sure why they haven't really went out to at least try to, I don't want to say fix the problem because it wouldn't fix your problem, but maybe like give you a little bit more depth, give you some options at wide receiver because there's not any guys that you feel super confident in going into next year. So maybe it's a guy that just comes in, can provide a couple plays, maybe even a guy who could challenge one of those guys who, to be honest, haven't done any, really anything to show you that they're a starting caliber wide receiver for this football team. Coming up on our show later on, we'll have Scott Bagwell, Auburn High School play-by-play announcer, to talk to us a bit about Auburn High School baseball's upcoming series against Central Phoenix City in the Final Four of the Alabama High School State baseball playoffs. We'll also get his thoughts on tonight's spring game, Auburn High School taking on Eufaula in spring game action tonight at Duck Sanford Stadium. Once again, Auburn Eufaula, 6 p.m. I'll actually be on the call for that tonight. You can watch that via Auburn High School's mass media program on YouTube. So you'll be able to watch the game and you'll hear my call of that once again coming up at 6 p.m. tonight. I believe the broadcast students will be putting on a broadcast for the first 30 minutes. That'll be coming on at 5.30 so you can get some of that pregame action as well. I still stand by that college football program should be playing spring games against other FBS programs instead of themselves I'm here for it I mean I think it it brings more excitement to the program it's uh it just like it gives like it's it's something cool like schedule somebody that you normally don't schedule or I mean even schedule a UA like if you're Auburn schedule a UAB schedule a Troy and just have that kind of tune-up mentality to where for Auburn it's a tune-up game UAB Troy gets them against top tier competition. It benefits well, let me tell them. you tonight, not a tune up. Not game. at all. They got a you big fall one. is a good football team. They were nine and three last year. Six A program. They're that's, pretty good. That's the only thing that I worry about from the from that at the collegiate level. I think you would have to kind of scale it back a little bit because if you end up running a spring game with like an Alabama and Texas, those guys are going to want to go all out. And they might end up you might end up hurting yourself more than helping yourself on the field. We talk about that spring game on the other side of this break as well as Auburn baseball losing to Sanford. More of On the Line. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Now joined by Auburn High School play-by-play announcer Scott Bagwell as the Auburn High Tigers into the Final Four of the state baseball playoffs. Scott, appreciate you taking your time today to join us on the line. How you doing today, my man? I'm good, Noah. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. You know, you got spring football in the air this evening. I'm looking forward to that. And then you got a great baseball series this upcoming weekend or tomorrow and then possibly into Saturday. But before we get to that, recap last weekend for folks as Auburn defeated Daphne and advanced to the Final Four of the state playoffs. Yeah, it was a it was a good series. Um, highlighted by starting pitching. Um, basically, whichever starting pitcher came out the cleanest and had the best start had the best start got the win. 
And, and Daphne got it in game one when um, Eli Zelensky went seven through 122 pitches, was on his last batter of the game. He wasn't, he wasn't going to be able to face the next guy if he didn't get the out. Scattered six hits over seven innings, two runs, only one earned, struck out nine, walked three. Um, and Matthew Rhodes took the hard luck loss. He gave up two unearned runs over four innings, and uh, that was that. There was a bang-bang play at the plate where um, Steele Hall, a seventh grader for, for Daphne, made a play from second plate, uh, second base rather, to get the, the tie and run it at home. And then after that, in game two and three, the Auburn pitching and Auburn bats came alive. Auburn was able to rack up nine runs in game two uh, behind Jack Toulier, who went six, struck out eight, only gave up two earned runs. Um, And then in game three, also in in game two there, uh, Henry Allen kind of broke the game open with a two-run homer in the in the second, so the, the freshman gave Auburn some breathing room and some distance from Daphne, and Auburn kind of cruised from there. And then in game three, Auburn started the game with back-to-back home runs, and that was all that, that Brady Fuller would need. He went six, gave up one hit, struck out seven um, over those six innings, and, and Auburn uh, swept the last two games of the series to advance to play Central here in the Final Four. Tomorrow, Auburn taking on Central, as you just mentioned, in a doubleheader that could see one of these teams through to the state championship game. If they don't take care of business tomorrow, game three would be on Saturday if necessary. Area foes colliding in the Final Four. We knew this was a pretty good possibility. Yeah, um, it felt like, uh, you know, once you you start around area play is when everybody starts kind of putting things together so in early April it really started to look like that the best two teams in the southern part of the state were going to be Auburn um, and Central now I say that because if Smith Station would have made it Smith Station probably would have been the the in, in the conversation as well you know Auburn took the series from Central's Smith took the series from Auburn and then Central swept the series from Smith Station and one bad week for the Panthers really took away their chance at a, at a state championship. It, it's just the way that the, the, the area works with just three really good teams in it. Um, and, yeah, it, it kind of just was playing out that it looked like these two teams were the best two teams in the South. And, um, you know, in playoff situations and a playoff baseball, you don't know if that's always going to play out, if, if the teams that had the best two regular seasons are going to be in the uh, – I have an opportunity to play deeper into the playoffs. That's exactly what we have here. Auburn comes in with a record of 32 and six. Central comes in with a record of 34 and six. What'd you take away from that regular season series against the Red Devils? And if I'm correct in saying this, I know Auburn and Central split in the first two games, which matter for the standings. Yeah. But did Auburn not take Game Three against the Red Devils? Auburn took Game Three, but what you take away from um, the so in the first three game set was that Auburn got two um, starting pitcher Bryce Sanders. They scored four runs in three innings. They forced the issue against Central. Um, and, and the biggest part there was Auburn drew seven walks in game one. The hits were tied, but the uh, free base runners were the difference in that game as Auburn came away with a seven to three victory. And then in game two, the, the the X factor and the big storyline going into this series is Will Cannon. 
Will Cannon on the year has been phenomenal. And, uh, you know, just crunching his numbers on the year, it, he's he's been so good for Central. 60 in the third innings pitched, just 18 earned runs given up, and he struck out 90. Uh, this, that's about a two ERA, and if you take away his last month and a half of just area play and the playoffs, it's like two earned runs in 25 innings pitched, and his last three starts, he's had double-digit strikeouts. He's been fantastic, and it almost seems like he gives Central an edge in the sense that whatever game that he throws in, Central feels like they're going to win. You know, he's 9-1 on the season. Uh, against Auburn, he threw a one-hitter, struck out 10, walked three. Um, and and But on the flip side there, it was only a one nothing game because of a home run by Brody Caps. Uh, Matthew Rhodes was just as good. Six innings, three hits, one run. It was the home run, walked one. Same number of, uh, of base runners. Just Central had a ball leave the ballpark, and Auburn didn't in that game, too. And then in game three, it was 3-1. to one. Auburn uh, won that one. Auburn threw seven pitchers. Um, and had a completely different lineup, and Central had a different one as well. So even though Auburn won the series, really what you can just take away is that these two teams uh, are, are pretty much dead even as far as, as talent and everything else goes. What can Auburn do at the plate to try and scratch some runs across Mr. Cannon for the Red Devils? The big thing that uh, with Cannon is, is um, he has shown at times that he can be wild. Uh, he's very good. Fastball in the 90s, he's got good stuff. But at times, he can be a little bit wild. He has a game with seven walks, a couple of games with five walks. And uh, and Auburn had some opportunities in that game to push a run across. Situation hitting and situational base running are going to be very big for Auburn. At times um, this season, that's gotten away from Auburn when Auburn hasn't gotten the runner over and hasn't gotten the runner in. Against Central, especially when Cannon's on the mound, uh, you're, Auburn's going to have to focus on that. We saw Auburn attempt more of it last week against Daphne, trying to get runners over and get runners in. So uh, it's something that I know they'll be working on this week. Uh, to, to, so if that ha- if that opportunity arises, that he will that, that Auburn or whoever's at bat. We saw the three hole hitter. We've seen uh, two hole all the way down the lineup. Uh, attempt to get buns down, but Auburn's got to make sure they get them down. And and another. Big X factor coming to this series is Tyler Haynes, the Mississippi State signee for Central, who's been hurt for the past year, is finally back on the mound. He, he has thrown the he's thrown the last two weeks of the season. He had a great start against Enterprise, but against Dothan, he got roughed up a little bit in the uh, eight to four win that that Dothan had over Central. Haynes gave up uh, six runs, four of them earned in just four innings of work. Uh, and that's the big thing. If he throws game three, or the if necessary, this might be the first time that Auburn kind of goes into game three in the playoffs on even footing as opposed to having the, that big step up with the deep pitching staff that Auburn has. Taking a look more at the scouting report on the Red Devils, what does Central do well outside of those two pitchers that might be a problem for Auburn going into this game? They're going to make you earn it. At the plate, they're, they're not going to really strike out. They're going to to make you get them out. You know, uh, Rhodes had six strikeouts over six innings. Uh, that was a spectacular start. Uh, and and Toulier, when he had his good start that went six and two-thirds in that game one win, that was seven to three for Auburn, Central only struck out three times. 
they're going to get on. They're going to push the issue a little bit. Um, they they want to run. They have good team speed. Uh, the one knock that you might be able to say is they don't really have a big bat in the lineup outside of Brody Caps. But when you get people on, when you push the issue, um, you know Central can be a lot to deal with. And you know I sit there and say that they might not have the biggest bats. But then again, you look at the series that they had against Smith before they played Auburn, and they scored 16 runs at Smith Station, and then they scored 10 runs as well. So it's a team that has scored a lot of runs at times, um, and uh, it, when they get people on and, and they got speed, if they're able to find a gap, uh, they can run for days. And the other thing is is uh, playing at Central. That ballpark can be small at times. The ball jumps uh, in the right conditions. Now it's still a little bit cooler so the wind might be a little bit more heavy, so the ball might jump in game one, but I'm not sure if the ball is going to jump off the bat in game two, so we'll see how that carries out. How the weather, even though both teams have to deal with it, will play out for an Auburn team who's hit 25 home runs, and even more so if you look in the playoffs for Auburn, you know they hit five home runs at Baker, and then they hit three home runs last week against that. What can Auburn do well against Central that might be a problem for them? The big thing is, is for Auburn is, is when Auburn plays clean in the field, Auburn's really darn good. Um, you know, when that, when Auburn makes one error or less, Auburn is 15 and three. Now, unfortunately, that means that 20 times Auburn has made two or more errors. And in the Daphne game that Auburn got beat, Auburn made three or four errors that gave, um, Daphne life. And as I said, Matthew Rhodes' line, zero earned runs. Well, that's because. The runs were unearned. Daphne got people on. They moved people over. They got them in. Very similar to what Central does well. Now, Central can hit the ball better than Daphne. They got bigger bats in the lineup. But it's a very similar philosophy. Don't strike out. Get people on. Get people over. Get people in. And um, and find and then, you know, uh, have enough pitching to kind of piece together and get the win. Um and to be as, as cliche as it gets for Auburn High School, uh, score first. Auburn 28-1 when scoring first, 4-5 and five when the opponent scores first. If Auburn does indeed score first, if Auburn does indeed win and advance to the state championship, what awaits them on the other side of the bracket? So it's Florence and Hoover on the other side of the bracket. Florence, the number three team in the state, Hoover came in. Uh, even though they've won their area, uh, a thought-to-be underdog um, in the northern part. They beat number six, Bob Jones, on a sweep. They sweep the number one team in the state in Hewitt-Trustville. Uh, Florence, on the other hand, had to make a massive comeback against uh, Sparkman. Sparkman got the lead early, and then Florence scored five unanswered runs and one on a walk-off walk in game three on Saturday uh, to get the win there. That game's going to be at Hoover High School uh, Florence is driven by their pitching. Hoover is a team that is young, but has started to hit well, and they started to pitch extremely well. And against in the Hewitt Trustville series, they gave up just two runs in those two games. So, um, as you as you would expect here in the semifinals and the final four, uh, pitching is going to be at a premium. I'd expect a lot of low scoring games. And good thing for Auburn that Auburn has. Uh, has four legit starters that they can run out there, and then after those four starters, have another four or five arms that can go out there and give Auburn good quality innings. Before I let you get out of here, we got to talk some football. Auburn High has their spring game tonight. 
what can fans expect to see out there? You'll be out there coaching. Yeah, it's going uh, to be an interesting uh, game because uh, one, Auburn's got so many kids, um, and, and it's new. And it's a new offense. It, it's it's a new signaling system. It's a new everything on the offensive side. Even though a lot of the plays are kind of similar, it's just new. And you've had three weeks to kind of get everything rolling, um, three weeks for the coaches and the players to get uh, comfortable with each other in a practice setting, not just in a workout setting. Um, so you'll see uh, so you'll see new this on the offense, and, and you'll see a new quarterback. You'll see new running backs, new receivers. You'll see some new offensive linemen. So on the offensive side, it's all going to be new. On the defensive side, it's the same system that has propelled Auburn to be one of the best defensive teams in the state in the last couple of years. But you'll see some new players. Powell Gordon will be back. Brad Harper will be back anchoring the box seven for Auburn High School. And Carson Yancey's back on the back end. But Auburn's got to figure out a lot in the two deep on the defensive side of the ball. Who's going to step up? Who's going to make some plays? And and all the things like that. And they're going to play an opponent that's pretty darn good and you follow team that made the playoffs last year. They got some high-quality talent on the defensive side of the ball. They, like Auburn, have to replace a very, very good senior class. So this is a good learning experience for both teams. Good growing experience, and, uh, and and if you don't know, there are no restrictions as far as tickets or anything like that. Go out there; they're five dollars. Grab a ticket um, and, and come out to the duck and watch some live football with what is hoped to be a packed house. Should be a whole lot of fun tonight. And if you can't make it, uh, the Auburn High School Mass Media Group—they're going to do a great job on YouTube. I know you'll have the call there. Um, as uh, it was supposed, I, at one point in time, it looked like it might have been me and you on the call, but I already agreed to help out on the uh, sidelines. So uh, you'll you're, you'll have to to carry the weight there tonight. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll hold it down. But it should down. be a whole lot of fun. <laughs> you'll do a great job. I got no doubts about it. It should be a whole lot of fun though. And then, uh, and, and if you're out of town, you can watch it on YouTube. And if you're out of town again, then tomorrow on Friday afternoon. Uh, you can obviously listen to us on uh, W. Lee. And then also, if you have a subscription to the NFHS Network, uh, we should have the video and audio broadcast there as well. Scott, I appreciate it, my man. Thanks for taking your time out of your day to come and speak with us here on On the Line to preview this matchup. Thanks, man. Have a good call tonight. Appreciate it. That was Scott Bagwell, Auburn High School play-by-play announcer. On the Line with us. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Back on On the Line, Noah Garner, Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Solid show today. we still got 30 minutes left in it. If you missed any of the show so far, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Continuing our series now on make-or-break factors for SEC teams in 2021. We're taking a look at the Tennessee Volunteers today. Levi, what is a make-or-break factor that you have? I got three. Let's alternate here what's a make or break factor that you got for the tennessee volunteers in 2021 this one's going to sound a little bit weird in trying to say this correctly it's a kind of a two-parter when you're non-conference and when the two sec teams that i see on your schedule that should that you should beat that's what i had for number one okay perfect so i've got so i mean when you're non-conference and then you beat vanderbilt south carolina 
Add that up. How many wins is that? Six. And you know what that is? It's a bowl game. And I think that's a win with what we, ex- or, you know, that's bowl eligible. We don't know if they, they might not be, um, they might not be available to go to a bowl, but you win six games, you could hang your hat on the fact that we should be going to a bowl game, even if there are some sanctions that we don't know about, if that does happen. But I think if, where you looked at what this program was or what we were perceiving it to happen, you know, just not even two, three months ago, if you won six games this year and were able to go to a bowl, even if some sanctions come down, I think that's a win for the Tennessee program in general. And I think that could make or break, maybe not this season in general, but it will definitely, I mean, it will if you don't win all those games because that'll definitely mess you up and it's kind of an uphill. The expectation should be bowl game if you're Tennessee. If you're looking at this, and I think that's what will break this schedule because if you win those games that you should win, that's six games. If you can steal an Ole Miss, a Kentucky, is that even stealing, though? Aren't those yeah, teams yeah. pretty evenly matched? That's true. I, I like Ole Miss a little bit better, but, I mean, I could see them get because it is in Knoxville, and I think that will really, really dictate it. Kentucky, we don't know what their quarterback position is. Say you win those two games, now you're looking at an 8-4 and four team. If you win those games, you should, and then beat those two teams that could coin flip, you're looking at 8-4. and four. And you're, if you're telling me that this Tennessee, if this Tennessee program with the fans, I don't, if you're an, uh, uh, a logical fan. If you're a logical fan and you look at this from the perspective of what we were facing months ago and this team goes 8 and 4, you have to be happy, especially with a first-year head coach and Josh Hoipel, you have to be happy at 8 and 4. I I mean you should be happy at 6 and 6, but 8 and 4 you'd be over the moon. Especially considering Tennessee hasn't gone to a whole lot of bowl games in recent memory, yeah. but Looking at the schedule, you're right. Tennessee puts themselves in a position to have a successful 2021. It's a good draw. If they go 4-0 and in their non-conference schedule that features Bowling Green, Pittsburgh, Tennessee Tech, and South Alabama. If they were to do that, they only have to find two more conference wins to make a bowl game out of Missouri, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Kentucky, and Vanderbilt. That should be doable. So for me, win all of your non-conference games. You're better than all four of those teams that you're playing. Pittsburgh, probably a coin flip in week two especially if you're still trying to install new things with a new head coach and you're still trying to figure out the quarterback position. They lost a lot of talent to the transfer portal. If Tennessee was returning all that talent and they hadn't all transferred away, well, then I would for sure say that Tennessee was the better team over Pittsburgh, but that is not the case. That one may be a coin flip game, but if you go 4-0 in your non-conference schedule, which is definitely doable and honestly should happen, Tennessee should expect to do that. If you do that, you should be bowling at the end of the year. I'll add to this I'll add to this and say a make or break factor for me for Tennessee adding to this adding an an addendum to it win at home last year Tennessee was one in four in home games only one of your home games this year to me can be deemed as a game that is unwinnable Tennessee's only unwinnable home game this year is against Georgia on November 13th late late in the season and that game is not going to make or break you because if, if you're hanging your hopes on going to a bowl game and having to win out across your last three, well, then you did not handle your business early on in the year. So make sure that that Georgia game doesn't matter for anything other than maybe a bid to an SEC championship if for some strange reason Tennessee was in that position late in the year. But if you win the other seven home games that you've got, Bowling Green, Pittsburgh, Tennessee Tech, South Carolina, Ole Miss, South Alabama and Vanderbilt which the only one of those teams that I think you would say that is 
looking better than Tennessee going into this season. I think the only one that you would say looks better is Ole Miss. If you win all seven of those games, you're finishing at least seven and five. And that's saying that you would lose to Kentucky, Alabama, Missouri, and Florida, and Georgia. And I think it's possible that they could still win between Kentucky and Missouri. Then, like you said early on, you're looking at eight and four with a chance to win nine games with a bowl game. I think Tennessee's somewhere in that range this upcoming year. I think they're going to win more than six games. I really do believe that. I, I the believe schedule that as well. sets up nicely. Yeah, they have a very, very favorable draw. And it's. It's crazy to think when you have Alabama, Georgia, and Florida on your schedule, you're sitting here talking about a favorable draw, but it's it's outside of that because they play those three teams every year, though. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing because you're you're you don't even nod like you don't even blink at those teams because you're like, look, they're on the schedule anyway. But outside of that, the schedule sets up really nicely. Everything's winnable outside of those three games. And look, I'm high on Florida. I think Emory Jones is going to play well this year, but we also don't know what we are getting out of Florida. Tennessee and Florida, throughout the years, I've watched Florida be a better team and Tennessee still go into the swamp and hang with them and vice versa. They play each other every year. Crazier things happen. Imagine if you start off 3-0 and in your non-conference and then you go into Gainesville with confidence and you end up just pulling off an upset. Then you're looking at a really good Tennessee year because then you got confidence moving forward and Josh Hoipel is bought in. People are going to buy into Josh Hoipel and what he's bringing to the table. I still think this team's looking at losing to Florida, Alabama, Georgia. And then some falling somewhere in that eight and four range, unless they still, you know, unless they steal both from Kentucky and Missouri. But eight and four, nine, you know, nine win season if they win a ball game, that's looking like what this Tennessee team should shape up to be. That's an incredible year for oh, a volunteer yeah. program that has had this shaky of an offseason, has seen that much talent leave the program, and they are still somehow in the ballpark to be able to achieve that. At the minimum, they should be looking to go to a bowl game. If they don't make it to a bowl game, then they colossally underperformed, and there should be major question marks around the Josh Hoyt area. But you also talk about setting yourself up for success over the Josh Hoyt tenure. It's important to make a bowl game and to at least show a positive image year one with all of this nasty negativity that occurred throughout the football season. And then also that trended into the offseason with all of the off-the-field allegations that are against the Tennessee program. You have to put out a positive image this year right now. Yeah, 100%. So what's something that they have to do to get to achieve this? What What is something on the I'm football field? I'm going quarterback field? play. 100%. Quarterback was easily one of the ones, and it doesn't matter which one you got. If it's Hendon Hooker, if it's Marr, if it's Joe Milton, it doesn't matter which one it is. You're going to... I'm saying you just got to trust the coaching staff with Josh Hoipel, who has gotten a lot out of his quarterbacks. I still think it's going to be Hendon Hooker at the end. He fits a lot what Josh Hoipel does. But whoever it is, you got to have some solid quarterback play because you you look at you look at Tennessee and what they've been doing here lately. They have not had a quarterback that has came in and really play. taken ownership of the position. Because Mara came in and has played good at times and he had a couple good Garantano's games. looked good at times but then you saw the bad Garantano you saw Mara have concussion problems and get knocked out of games there was just never consistently high like consistent high play for no the one's taken ownership of the position nobody has said this is my job this is my team and that's what the quarterback battle is about for me in 2021 which of these guys comes in 
Mars already still there. Does he take the position and says, this is my team, none of you new guys coming in? Or does Hooker come in? Does Milton come in? Which guy comes in and says, this is my team, this is my job, and then holds on to it for a full 12-game season? Because they've got a coach, they've got a signal caller in Josh Heupel who is going to put them in positions to succeed because he's done it with all of his other quarterbacks. He understands the quarterback position. He was a quarterback himself, a very successful quarterback at Oklahoma, and he's done really amazing things with QBs at UCF, with McKenzie Milton and then Dylan Gabriel. So quarterback play for me, they've got to get competent quarterback play. Even just a little bit like how you said earlier where you added a little bit of addendum, I'll add just a little bit of a layer to that. Consistent person at the position. You know what I you know I say it all the time. If you have two quarterbacks, if yeah. you have three quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. If if it becomes a situation at Tennessee this year where it's who's gonna start this week or one guy is constantly looking over his shoulder at say Joe Milton behind him or Hendon Hooker behind him or Mar behind him, depending on which one of those guys starts, you're not gonna have success because you're ne- there's not gonna be confidence in that quarterback. If it becomes that, that kind of circus of a rotational guy, you're like that's that's a problem. You have to have one guy commit to him and you get you have to have consistent consistency out of that position Hinton hooker and joe milton both come in with multiple years of collegiate eligibility remaining also they each have i believe two or three more years i think joe milton's got three more years and then Hinton hooker may just have two he, he may have three I, I i know he's got at least two years but if they start out solid in their first season at Tennessee that's something you can build off of that's something that you can build on in the Hoyport tenure despite what you lose around a good quarterback the good quarterbacks find a way to keep you afloat while you lose all that talent they find a way to help elevate the guys around you so if these quarterbacks end up being good well then that's something they can build on around those players to try and jumpstart the beginning of the Josh Hoyple coaching tenure in Knoxville so I, I think quarterback play is something that you got to look to that that this with the remaining years of eligibility on those two guys trying to get the most that you can out of them you want to yeah you want to you want to put you want to lay the foundation for the josh hoipel era started off strong same with all it's the same that we've been saying about auburn you want to put something out there that people want to buy into and come to on the other side of this break we talk about which teams received unfavorable schedules from the nfl all that and more coming up on on the line wrapping up the show on the line on fox sports central alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Wrapping up the Thursday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on the line. ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. We wrap up the show here in just a moment, but first let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Some new episodes of sitcoms on CBS. Young Sheldon is on at 7, United States of Al at 7.30, and Mom at 8. NBC has new episodes of Manifest at 7 and Law and Order Special Victims Unit at 8. Some movie selections for tonight. The robots are getting creative. They send a Terminator back in time to kill John Connor. Terminator 2 Judgment Day is on BBC at 7. Luke Wilson, Vince Vaughn, and Will Ferrell star in Old School on Paramount at 6. 
Sports. In live sports, there are four days left in the NBA season. Two games are on TNT beginning at 6.30. Currently sitting at number one in the Eastern Conference, the Philadelphia 76ers take on the current five seed in the Miami Heat. At nine, the Trailblazers are only one game out of a spot in the play-in tournament, and they play the current two seed in the West in the Phoenix Suns. College baseball is on ESPNU as Missouri and number three Mississippi State start their series in Starkville at 7.30. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Wrapping up another edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Just went through our make-or-break factors for Tennessee in 2021 as a part of our make-or-break SEC series. Going through every team in the Southeastern Conference on make-or-break factors for those teams in 2021 as we inch ever so closer to July and SEC media days. We're so we're closer to the spring games than we are to media day, but eventually we'll get to that halfway point. Yeah, we're getting there. The summer's the summer is approaching. It is coming. Spring is dwindling down, and we're about to get into that hot, humid Alabama summer. Don't put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. It will happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> Look forward to warm weather. It's just the humidity is what what is killing. Yeah, I, I mean, I go out to Vegas usually once or twice every you know once or twice every year during the summertime, and it's crazy how it's a hundred plus degrees out there, but you don't sweat a drop because it's that dry desert heat compared to here. I walk outside and I'm immediately covered in a film of water, nasty water, and I'm just like. I just I, I wish the humidity was just like a fraction better than it is right now. Well, going back to the NFL schedule reveal last night, we've talked about favorable schedules. What are some teams or which teams received unfavorable schedules from the NFL? Well, it's funny because like the way I look at it is typically teams from the same two divisions. I feel like the NFC North and the AFC North, funny enough, <laughs> I feel like any all the teams from those divisions have have some you know have a little bit tougher and it makes sense especially when you look at the AFC North there were three playoff teams out of there last year in the Browns Steelers and Ravens you expect the Bengals to be maybe not significantly better but you expect them to be better than what they finished because Joe Burrow was coming along Um, he's going to have a hard time throwing to Jamar Chase because they didn't invest in any offensive line for him as they should have but you know that's a different story for a different day you have the uh, Ravens. Who needs ACLs? Yeah, I mean, what? I mean, who needs Joe Burrow not to die on the football field? Whatever. But the Ravens, good team. Steelers, good team. Browns, good team. It's going to be hard for those three teams because they're going through the gauntlet. I mean, your Cleveland Browns open up at Kansas City. Hey, everything after that, though, gets it's, easier. <laughs> yeah, everything gets easier, but it's not by much. I mean, you're still having to play. It's just because you have to games. play the Ravens twice and the Steelers twice. That's why yes. you didn't have to. But that that makes up for a fourth of your schedule right there of having to play those four teams or those those two teams four times and then not to mention you got a division in the AFC West this year AFC North teams will play AFC West teams and then they'll play NFC North teams also depending on what happens and with the Packers in the offseason that division could end up being relatively easy or it could end up still being pretty difficult because you have to play the Packers with Aaron Rodgers. But then you look at the AFC West, you know what you get in the Chiefs, but you expect you, you, th- this is a division that could feature Aaron Rodgers next year with the Denver Broncos. And then you're also talking about Justin Herbert getting better with the Chargers. I don't care what the Chargers record is at the end of the year. You I never have- <laughs> like playing them because they end up being one of the best 6-10 and 10 teams you see every year. Yeah, well, that's because they always have a talented roster. It's just they can never get it done. I mean, I saw a stat a few years ago where it was if you flipped every one possession game, 
say you want to you say you won a one possession game, you flip that to a loss. I think the Chargers would have been 14 and 2 one year and the Seahawks would have been like 3 and 13. And it was just crazy because that just means that that team was in every single game. You never feel like playing it. But that's and that's why the NFC North teams and the AFC North teams I think have some of the harder schedules. Because they have some talented teams, you have. And the Raiders were borderline a playoff team last year as yeah. well. They were in the hunt till the end of the season. Like, and you got to play. It's not them. easy. No, and you got to play those teams. The way I look at it, NFC North, you have Packers, Bears, and Vikings. Look, Vikings couldn't stop anybody on defense, but you look at the receiving. You you look at their offense, the receiving weapons they have. Dalvin Cook, if he's healthy, healthy. Irv Smith at tight end. That's a good football team. If. They can do something defensively, and you trust Mike Zimmer to do that. Packers, if they have Aaron Rodgers, it's the Green Bay Packers. And then the Bears, you know the defense is there. Does Justin Fields come in and make a difference? Does Andy Dalton come in and make this team better? It doesn't matter. I think either of those guys are an improvement of what they had last year. So those three teams should be really good. You've got three teams in the AFC North who are really good. And, oh, it just turns out that those two divisions have to play each other, which is why teams in those divisions have have a tougher break, have a tougher draw simply for the fact that they're playing each other and they have some good teams. I don't think you see three AFC North teams make the playoffs again and, this year. And that's not that I don't think they're talented. I agree with that. I think it's just their schedule is too brutal to yeah. allow that. Because I think all three of those teams, a little bit iffy on the Steelers, their defense is playoff caliber. I'm still worried to see what I'm going to see. I'm still worried of what's going to happen with Ben Roethlisberger this year. But other than that, three talented teams that are playoff caliber, but I don't know if they make it. You bring up the Steelers. They're the team that I have written down as a team that received unfavorable schedules. And especially if you look towards the last six, seven weeks of the year, if Pittsburgh is on the fringe late in the season, which I expect them to be just based off of the conversation that we just had, five of their last six opponents are going to make it insanely difficult on them. They've got to play the Ravens twice, the Titans, the Chiefs, and the Browns. There's at least three losses oh, right they, there. And, oh, they also have to play, you know, the team that finished the same as they did in the division in the Buffalo Bills and the Seattle Seahawks. Like, those are two good teams. That that's they prior also, to that stretch yeah, as well. That's yeah, exactly. I mean, you have to play that. And, you know, before you're by, you're having to play the Bills, the Packers, and the Seahawks. Oh, by the way, you also have the Broncos on the schedule. So um, even if the Packers get rid of Aaron Rodgers and he goes to the Denver Broncos, you still might have to face him in yeah. some capacity. I am really hoping for Aaron Rodgers to not end up in a Denver Broncos uniform. You're just hope- it affects my team too. So I I, I just I, I stay out of my get out of the the NFC North and stay out of the AFC West. So you're hoping that not on my schedule. You're hoping as a Browns fan that he goes to Denver after you play Denver. So if he gets traded after, if somehow, I think that's way past the deadline. But if you play Denver and then he gets traded to Denver, you're perfectly fine. Because then that's, you avoided him completely. That's a good point because the you Packers You avoided are, him completely. That would be incredible. That won't happen. That's not Cleveland I'm, Browns I'm, luck. I'm but. also pretty sure that's well past the deadline. I don't know the deadline off the top of my head, but I feel like that's week eight. well past it. It's week eight every year. Yeah. So that's, well, what is it now? We have 17 games. So I don't know where I imagine it'll still be week eight. It's only who, one more week. Who knows? Oh, that one more week matters to that 17th game. Mm, no more eight eights. No more eight and eights. Jeff Fisher is really sad right now. Yeah. The Browns schedule is tough as far as volume of teams, but I don't hate the sequence. You understand? Like, I don't feel like there's too many back to backs or nasty home and aways baked in there. I, I just I agree with that. It's more of the volume of tough teams but i felt like it was pretty spread out evenly so the browns definitely caught a little bit of a break compared to some of the other teams but 
That's it for the Thursday edition of On the Line, the drive with Bill Cameron following us on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll see you tomorrow, same time, same place. You know where to find us.